0: I'm a uh, yeah, here with Eric, a man who's always in command, last man on Mars or not. A man who would set his own hair on fire to find an air leak that would save him. A man who can solve any problem with duct tape. How you doing?
1: Hey, thanks. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here talking with you about this wonderful book by andy weir the martian the last book in our martian series here at
0: life Death, sci-fi that's right how many books have we read yeah we did 10 that's quite a series worked our way all the way up when was this published i can't remember i know it was the latest was it 2011 yeah 2011. so we did this chronologically Worked our way, yeah, all the way up to 2011, looking at all the, what could we say, the most well-known, famous books on Mars?
1: I would say we tried. If we missed one or two, shame on us. We tried our best to do a historical Mars tour here, yeah. uh, ending up with the Martian.
0: I don't know if evolution is the right word there, but changes over time in those books is you go from what's really very fantastical really almost fantasy-based stories to very science heavy and this is certainly no exception kim stanley robinson's red mars also very science heavy so is the martian how did you feel about all the scientific details that was pretty striking in this one even more than red Red mars right i would say yes and i
1: agree with you it was that was a good description about our journey uh, through all of these books. It was a slog, I have to say, in some ways because the this, you're
0: talking about this book
1: No, I'm talking about our, well, o- our journey overall. over overall. yeah, it was it's in some ways it was a slog because it went in different directions than I thought it would. There were different focuses and themes that kind of surprised me and in some ways delighted me, some ways disappointed me. But the technology, the science got heavier and heavier and less fantastical as it came to the present.
0: Yeah, we go from, maybe I'll read off all the ones we read in a second here. But yeah, you go from this real, that's the fantasy part, right? It's real soft science fiction to very hard science fiction. yeah, it's certainly because we, I guess we, yeah, we know a lot more about, we as humanity know a lot more about Mars than we, we did. So we started with, I'll read these in order. So we read A Princess of Mars, Aelita, or The Decline of Mars, Those two
1: were kind of wonderful love stories more than the
0: science. Right. Yeah, and I think we got a Princess of Mars reference at some point, didn't we, in this one too? There's a reference, I'll just go ahead and say it. He says, and this is late, this is page 377. If I could have anything, it would be for the green-skinned yet beautiful queen of Mars to rescue me so she could learn more about this Earth thing called lovemaking. (laughs) i i remember that quote now but i don't remember
1: the reference where was he what was he thinking about when he was doing that was he
0: must be yeah i don't remember either but it's got to be this is obviously deep into it so it's it must be when the hab is torn apart i'm guessing maybe or is it was it in that dust storm oh and in life death sci-fi as always, <laughs> there will be spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. Yeah. If yeah, you read the book, yeah, we're assuming you've read the book here. Um, yeah. Let me run through this list again just to get it okay. out there. So we got Princess of Mars, Ailita, or The Decline of Mars, Red Star and Engineer Many by Alexander Bogdanov. Number four was Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. Number five. The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Yahoo! Six. Yeah. Number six, Martian Time Slip by Philip K. Dick. Seven, Desolation Road by Ian McDonald. Eight, Voyage to the Red Planet. Nine, Red Mars. Oh, my God. There's some more. And then we're at The Martian by Andy Weir. All right. How did the scientific details work for you with the Martian? Did you find it as much of a slog?
1: Oh, I really liked the MacGyver aspect of this. He MacGyvers his dune buggy to drive around a sandstorm, disassemble a spacecraft, and then blast off. If you dig into how he squeezed nitrogen out of the carbon and oxygen of the jet fuel or rocket fuel that he had, it it was interesting. That's the MacGyver part of it. I found this kind of a, I don't mean to be insulting, but it was a a beach read, page turner, joyride, fun, kind of all the way through knowing that, spoiler alert, that he's going to make it. He's going to get back somehow. And yeah, that's, oh, was that's published I, as a, I, didn't, I didn't
0: realize this until I was, I was listening to a few of his interviews after and it was self-published and in a serial style. So he, uh, yeah, he just put it up on a website and it uh, was just publishing different kinds of writing. But this was one of the many things he was writing at the time. I remember one thing he mentioned, he was writing about mermaids as well and things like that. And so this one was obviously the more popular and uh, he yeah published and so the way it reads he was just publishing sort of chapter by chapter as he went
1: that um, makes total sense to me now and what a great way for an author to discover what aspects of their writing is popular he said
0: he'd written a couple of things before no one was interested at all And uh, he started self-publishing. He was doing some kind of coding, something like that. I can't remember if he had a great job, wasn't really worried about money, he was just doing it for fun. So he was publishing on his website. And then some people complained it was hard to read that way. So then he published like an EPUB version or something and a PDF. And then people wrote to him and said, yeah, it's great, but I can't really read it on my Kindle. And so then he got on Amazon and He said he put the lowest, actually he's got a whole Ted talk about this, which is we can, I can put in our show notes. He did the lowest price. They don't allow you to do it for free, but he put 99 cents or something in Kindle and then shared that with people. And then it got so many downloads. It was in like the top 10 or something. And then he started getting, people were offering him a deal to publish it. I can't remember if it was Knopf or something. It's a
1: wonderful story. I I love that kind (laughs) of stuff. And I love his voice when he writes in The Martian he's got the same voice in his other story. What's his other story? Oh yeah. Hail Mary. Yeah, that was- hail Mary. I,
0: uh, yeah. So I got hail yeah. Mary here. Yeah. I got the Martian. I just hate, I took this off my parents' shelf because they had a hard copy, but just a tangent side note here. I just hate it when they put actors on book covers.
1: Oh yeah. Cause you associate you to the movie. This is Yeah.
0: Okay, it's Matt Damon. Okay, handsome guy, great actor. Mm-hmm. Seems nice enough. I wanna let my imagination
1: do the work for me there. The narrator, the voice, I just liked it it clicked for me. And that's the reason why I kept turning pages. And of course, he had all of his MacGyver moments. Things blowing up. And though in spoiler alert, in the end of the movie, while we're talking about movies, I liked it that he jammed a screwdriver or something into his spacesuit glove and flew into the arms of his rescuer Iron Man, shooting out the air, causing him to go forward. That's how the movie ended. And I thought that
0: was so cool. But the Uh, way the book ends is
1: 10 times better.
0: I started to watch the movie. I realized I didn't finish it. A few days ago, I went to rewatch it and saw the first half and then just didn't get back to it. So I didn't remember the ending being that different. Totally different. Interesting. But he's, yeah, he's very much saved in the book. That's the way the story
1: read. If he didn't make it, then I'd be so disappointed. Actually, there were only a couple of books that people didn't make it back. One of them was The Voyage to the Red Planet. Not everybody made it back. Martian Mm. Chronicles. Not all of the spacemen made it back. I think there's one other one, but most of the time, there was a round trip involved, which was surprising.
0: I guess with a lot of those, that's how the narrator is telling the story. They got to make it back somehow to tell the story. Yeah, I enjoyed the characterization here. I thought there was a lot of levity right like great use of humor i would say i didn't love i found it a little bit it was a little hard for me to believe that an astronaut would be that fun <laughs> now i now I don't know any i haven't really met any astronauts and I'm sure they have their own of course they've got their own great sense of humor but just a lot of that stuff's a little middle schoolish where uh, I think at some point he types in a thing that's look, a pair of boobs and he's using like an emoji. Oh yeah, or yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, Come yeah. On. not even middle school. Yeah, exactly. Oh. That's like fifth grade stuff or something. But for the most well, part, like as a reader enjoying it, this beach read sense, the humor really worked for me. I jotted down some examples. He says, like my asshole is doing as much to keep me alive as my brain. Turns out even NASA can't improve duct tape. Right, I and mean, the whole duct there, tape. I, I like know. that one. I had yeah. that one too. Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, NASA will have four hours of meetings before telling me to cover it with duct tape. <laughs> there is a whole theme here with I don't know—is it man or individual versus person versus bureaucracy going on? That I think those of us that have most adults can relate to some in some way or another.
1: He has that battle with bureaucracy, but he knows that they're going to help him at the yeah. same time. And in the the end of the book, a couple of times, he appreciates all of humanity that helped get him back. And then individually, the crew members that turned around in their spaceship to pick him up again, and all of the people on Earth that came together, countries, nations, which reminds me that in these... In all of these books that we read, I was surprised that China and Russia, through the years of these books being written, were always contenders for living in space, but no other countries really or some other countries were mentioned, but they were boosted by Russians and Chinese and the United states so i was I was
0: impressed by how that theme carried through these stories. Russia, especially, is very heavy throughout. And then China, which makes sense just in terms of, I guess, sort of technological advancement, We get China willing to help with this last one and then try to think in red Mars, I remember the feeling like there was a little bit of a surprising absence of China there relative to their importance in terms of space programs. That's Um, right. Yeah. Surprising with Robinson in that sense. I guess that was 1993 or something, though, right? So maybe not so surprising. If you were writing that today, I don't think that would be the case. And it's really in the uh, early aughts, right? Pretty fast advancement here, right? In the last, yeah, that's true. So maybe it makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, a real celebration of humanity here, I think overall, and to go to such lengths to save a single person. If upbeat. Yeah, he stays very positive. I didn't love the personal messages, funny, but I guess it makes sense to have a little bit of teasing or banter there or whatnot. One thing that really did work for me, though, it has this sort of epistolary diary, letter writing journal style to it. I thought that worked really well, right? Where he's making these entries, these logs that worked well to tell the story. I thought that yes. was a good It's Robinson Crusoe's story. There was
1: even a movie, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Gotta so this, to watch know, that. <laughs> it's really dated and old, but a fun story. It wouldn't surprise you after all the Mars stories that you've read. The Martian is a Robinson Crusoe story. He's alone. He's shipwrecked on a planet. Andy Weir takes advantage of that with his wonderful voice because the only p- person this guy's going to talk to is himself. He does a great job with that. Then he gets to talk with Earth for a bit and then not. So it's, yeah, yeah. keeps you invested, keeps you going. And that's the serial thing that makes sense to me.
0: I listen to one where he has a talk at Google or something as well. And in one other interview with Prolific, I think he breaks down some, look at some of the real scientific aspects of it. But anyway, he mentions that he was originally just done the whole thing in this epistolary style. And then, or I don't know if he didn't write the whole thing, but he started off that way. That was his intention. And then at some point he just was wondering, what's everybody doing, right? At this, this is going on and do they even know? And then once that kind of clicked, I think that brings in this really cool, dramatic uh, irony in some ways of... We know some things that some other characters don't know. And it builds in this sort of, again, this kind of like with Red Mars, this sort of reality TV aspect of it, or Truman show like quality where you can imagine everybody around the world there's some parts like that. They're watching this, right? His parents are watching it. People in different bars or cafes, it's it's on the screen. Is this supply rocket going to take off? All right. And is he still alive? We have any news, right? I thought that really added a layer of interest that worked really well for me.
1: I do too. I really enjoyed that. The woman who watched the satellites.
0: Oh, yeah. Mindy, Mindy Park. Yeah. Mindy
1: Park. What a hero. She watched the satellites on Mars and discovered some things that she had a little trouble presenting to NASA before they said, oh, you really do have something. You really are smart. That's the kind of feeling I got from that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. The bureaucratic stuff. The way she did it was quite wonderful.
0: I felt that the drama of that or the rush of that, the excitement of he's still alive. You got to feel that going through the channels there. Is there then what to do about it? Pretty cool. Um, So many people were trying
1: to come together. How do you sort out all of the noise from the stuff that's really going to matter?
0: there's a relatability that comes through little things. The crew's brought, he's stuck entertaining himself in all these hours and he spends so many, I don't remember what it is, but is it like 400 souls or something? He's there for over a year. What else here? i have got? Um, oh, I had like questions like thoughts on disco.
1: I didn't feel the same way that, to The main character, Mark Watney, felt he hated disco. And I think he hated disco because he had to listen to it so much or whatever. But when I dipped into it, I thought, oh, that's cool. It's not the same thing, but...
0: At least disco is very uplifting. So you put that on and you're feeling you're alone on Mars. At least you're going to feel it's upbeat. Whereas right. something like country or classic, classical music... You could drift off into space. Yeah, it's... I don't know. What if there was nothing there but Kenny G, right? I was trying to see if I actually put, wrote down like favorite sci-fi devices. Did you come up with a list?
1: Okay, the devices. I love the main spaceship that they use to get to Mars, the ion-powered, slow, slow-to-go-fast spaceship. I would love to see it again on the screen. I can't remember how they depicted it in the movie. So that was one. That goo that he used to seal up the habs was wonderful. That goes in the same bag with, uh, of course, duct tape. One of my favorite devices that I have in my back room right now. And what was the last one? You... Go ahead with yours and I'll, I'll remember mine. Well, I
0: struggled a little bit with Red Mars as well. And I guess the question is, why was I struggling with the sci-fi devices? I think because they're missing the fi, the fiction. Like they're so realistic. And then it's almost, is that a sci-fi device? Because I am I think what I enjoy most about the sci-fi devices is the hasn't quite been invented yet, but did Okay, come there to, you go. Yeah, did eventually was invented. So it's- Exactly. Know, you got it. Yeah. And so with this particular book, so much of it, I think I listened to I mean, theres there's a couple of things that scientists maybe picked apart a little bit, but mostly it's just really, it's just, it's almost like nonfiction. And that's what I, yeah. we exchanged a couple of texts and it's okay. Is this fiction? It's, of course it's fiction because it didn't really happen. Hasn't it happened yet. Yeah. But everything that does take place, 90 some percent of it could be nonfiction. It absolutely could be. And so we don't get these kind of fictional devices that we do in these stories that are just more delve into the fantastical, like that's the fiction part of the sci-fi.
1: I think that Andy Weir did a marvelous job of researching the hell out of how someone could survive on Mars, given what they would take there, the potatoes and then the fuel into oxygen. Those things. I love that stuff. But yeah. like you say, could be in my back room right now.
0: Yeah. Best device, duct tape, right? That was the most entertaining and seemingly most useful in so many ways, kind of device in the story, but not sci fi, right? So it's I almost need a list of best devices instead of sci fi devices. Uh huh. Uh huh. So that was my struggle there.
1: But not to say that it wasn't a fun read.
0: Yeah. The Pathfinder was cool. Rockets were cool. The, that's what RTG, radioactive thing or whatever. There's a lot of dangerous things. To Lost in yeah. the
1: Australia outback.
0: Yeah. Cool. How he, like you said, MacGyver's or forms different aspects of what they've brought into various missions and makes that work for him. I guess for me, the thought I had with all that, and, and I, my eyes tend to glaze over a little bit with the scientific detail. Some of it's interesting and some is just a little too much for
1: oh, me. Oh, that's that's dangerous to say as a reader. Yeah, just, no, I, as, no, as a reader, you are allowed to do that kind of thing or to page forward through description that you know is maybe a little bit too long. I agree. But see, that's why I called it a beach read because yeah. you know, it's just fun. It's a fun ride.
0: And I don't wanna, I'm i not, I guess I'm not saying that to, to knock it because I think Andy Weir makes it very accessible to somebody like me who doesn't spend, hasn't spent a lot of time in thinking about those things and hasn't spent much time, such technical scientific kind of terms. I think he does a great job of making that accessible. So I don't want to knock it, but I just found that's just not the, to some degree, I found that interesting. It's probably a little more than I needed. And yet... I think I've mentioned World War Z a number of times where it's like this science fiction, but I feel like I lived it. When I was reading, just like with Red Mars, I felt like I had lived the colonization of Mars. And now I feel like I've been stranded on Mars. Uh, I was hyper aware the whole time that I would be so dead if I were Mark Watney. I just (laughs) thought all these solutions he comes up with, I'm what a hero, I guess, in that sense to survive. And I just... I, every time we got into the science of things, I'm just thinking as a reader, I'm just like, I'm so dead right now. Like when he's lost in the dust storm and he has to triangulate his loc- location by go- by marking yeah. things. And sure. like, I was like, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. You can figure out which way the dust storm is moving by doing this and then re doubling back. And I just thought I just would, I just wouldn't come up with any of those solutions. Try mm-hmm. to grow potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I could probably okay. get him going and then I would do something wrong and I'm just like, I just, yeah.
1: Okay, no. but wait a minute. That, Andy Weir takes care of that. The, everybody on this mission has a couple of roles. And his roles were botanist, okay, so he can grow potatoes, and yeah. handyman. So right. he's, he's a jack of all trades there. And so that gives... Andy Weir, the author, licensed to just go as deep as he wants to with this.
0: Yeah, of course. If it was a different character, if it was the ship psychologist, I don't know. <laughs> probably he, just it ironically probably goes mad quicker than anybody else because he's so focused <laughs> on his inner trying to figure out his inner turmoil. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying I'm very dead if I'm Mark Watney. I don't make it. Yeah. So when you've survived something that should have killed you and you're drinking the Mark Watney, a recipe for vodka made from Martian grown organic potatoes,
1: very popular on earth right now,
0: (laughs) what will you be chatting about? Be chatting about the next thing
1: that life death sci-fi is going to be talking about and I'm excited about it because it's one of my favorite genres. And I've read the hell out of this genre. But there's still lots left, and I wouldn't mind rereading anything. I might. There are a couple stinkers in there. But uh, time travel.
0: Yeah. And there's a few of those in my list here for time travel. Okay. So let's get, did well, you end up, let's talk time travel here and try yeah. to sort out. So we're definitely doing time travel for our next theme, right? Yay. Yeah. All right. Do you have a list of books? No,
1: I have a list of demands. No, oh. I, have a list of, <laughs> I have a list of talking points, not demands. I accept, really. I
0: accept your demands, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> time travel is a huge genre, and it fits with many different kinds of stories. But is that okay for life-death sci-fi? Now, one of my favorite all-time movies that has a time travel theme is called Somewhere in Time. Christopher Reeves started in this movie. That's how old Reeves? it is. Yeah. start in this movie. It's basically a love story. Okay. With a time travel twist. So does life, death, sci-fi say it's okay to
0: just read a love story? And that was my question because when I picked up a copy of Kindred, I didn't actually know what it was about. Other than that, it was by Octavia Butler yeah. it was time travel. And I knew that the protagonist went back to slave era United States. And I didn't know much other than that. And then I started to read the introduction and she herself says it's not science fiction. And the way that the character, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler because it happens, I think, early on that this protagonist has a sort of episode where she loses consciousness and then travels back into the body of an ancestor. An ancestor. Yeah. That's the way that the time travel works throughout. And I thought, okay. And then my wife heard we were going to do time travel and she was like, oh, you could finally watch or read Outlander. (laughs) She loves the Outlander Outlander series. And I was like, I don't think that's really, and I've seen the first couple episodes, so I know it's through a wasn't it Stonehenge? Yes, situation, yes. Right. And yeah. And so then I, but then I thought, okay, what about a princess of Mars? Cause here we get this character who falls asleep in a cave or passes out in a cave and awakes on Mars. The Mars depiction there is very fantastical, but okay, but, oh, but all right, we, go you know, ahead. even though we don't get a scientific device that takes him somewhere. We are on a planet. Also, come on. Uh, Life Death, Sci-Fi was doing a
1: historical survey of Martian text. I think that kind of saves us here. But if we're just going to dive into time travel, I think we have to look at the devices that take the characters into their time travel journey. Now, with Somewhere in Time, it was this guy who just, it, it took place in Michigan in the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. I've been there. So this this movie was instantly relevant to me. So this guy falls asleep in the hotel and the hotel itself is the device that carries him back. So he's back in time. He falls in love. He's just getting excited about what this means to him. He's finally in love. His whole life is making sense. And then he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a coin that is from his time. And that instantly zaps him back. Hmm. But now he can't use that same device to get back in time to be with this woman he's in love with. Okay. And that's not the end of it. But the device, I think, for time travel is important because that leads us to time travel stories about love, revenge. There's time travel stories about let's go back and change history, greedy, like back to the future and the playing the numbers or the finding that right. that magazine with all of the sports teams. The ones that I like, I like them all, right? But the ones that I like the best are the breakthroughs, the ones that are the first ones to go back in time. Like the time machine it's by H.G. Wells. He used this machine to go back in time. He's the first one to do it. What is he going to find there? Then there's time travel by mistake. Oh, I put these wires together and I didn't mean to do that, but now I'm 100 years forward or backwards in time. So there's lots of these subgenres. What does life-death sci-fi say?
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's the maybe the fun part of the exploration is, I think, digging into this question of what what constitutes a science fiction time travel story. And related to that, even bigger, which I think is challenging, is what exactly makes it sci-fi, this push and pull of science and fiction? And where are these points of departure, these boundaries, parameters that we map out, I think, as we explore that? we do want to try to stay within the realm of science fiction as best we can.
1: Time travel is tricky because yeah. even if we're going with a super science device that takes you back, then you're back in history and you have to do historical things. So that's not science but getting there was the science So now you're there, you have a story, and then you go back.
0: One way to draw the line would be, okay, let's say there's a genie in a bottle, you know, in a shop and you rub it and you say you want to go back in time to a certain moment. That's your wish. Not science fiction. Not right? science fiction. Whereas H.G. Wells' character creates a time machine that even though we don't understand the science of the machine necessarily, although I think it's partially explained in the book, if I remember right, even though it's not hard science, there's some soft science Therefore it it does work as science fiction. Okay. What
1: about this scenario? You've got a group that is the time travel police, and they go around correcting things that time travelers that don't have permits, they fix it. Is, there, is that science? I think more important for us to define what kind of books we want to read for life, death, sci-fi than even a list because the, I think the lists are going to vary from, they're going to have aspects of fantasy sprinkled in with books that have hard science too.
0: Okay. Let me say, yeah, let me just read out the list I've got here and then just to put on the sort of record here and then. Okay. uh, Where'd you get the list? I pulled it from a number of just best time travel, science fiction book lists uh, okay. just to get me kind of thinking about it. And so I originally had Kindred up there and I think I put these sort of in, in a, just a quick order of what I thought was be most interesting. And now I'm rethinking a little bit, but Kindred up there, which now I'm thinking we don't do for that reason, A Wrinkle in Time, which I've just never read. And so I know it's so famous, but I oh, I don't know much about it. Okay. Ray bradbury's a sound of thunder which is a short story mm, that's uh, got to be on there and i've read it but it's so great i'd love to talk about it the end of eternity by isaac asimov timeline a novel by michael crichton now wait for last year what a great title by philip k dick ghost country by patrick lee and i don't even remember what that's about <laughs> but the accidental time machine by joe Haldeman. Yes. Uh, Millennium I've read by several. John Varley. Yeah. And Ooh. then I've got the Time Machine, Millennium by John Varley. Yes,
1: yes. Uh,
0: the Time Machine by H.G. Wells and The Time Ships, which is an authorized sequel authorized by his foundation, authorized sequel to Wells's Time Machine. Huh? The other one that I would put on the list that, and I think we didn't, did we not do The Time Machine? Did we not read that and talk about it years ago together? I, I feel don't like think that so. was like an early one.
1: I don't think it was the theme, but I think it was like something we talked about. Yeah, what, about the theme, but what about, what about Purion?
0: Yeah, that would be on, I saw that on some lists and we we've read that, although I could read it again. And then the other one that we read and talked about, not in a podcast, but was Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, which See? I would is, be happy that, to talk about again. But
1: is that, going to fit with our science fiction. It's got uh, a-
0: aliens too, right? It's aliens yeah, and, yeah. and time travel. So how does
1: he time travel? How does... Uh, how, what's his name? What's the main character's name? I can't remember.
0: Billy... Oh, shoot. Yeah, this is why we should reread it,
1: yeah. Okay, so how does he jump around in time?
0: He's... I think the... I don't know if that's a... Is there a spoiler here? He's... Living, spoiler alert. Skip the next ten seconds. I don't know. <laughs> he's living simultaneously. Billy Pilgrim. 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 Anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Great. But man. he's, yeah, he's living simultaneously in all of these uh, different. <laughs> He breaks down. Okay,
1: that sounds more point. philosophical to me than sciencey. But is uh, uh, philosophy and science do, are they cousins? That's sisters? how far we going
0: with the science thing. Yeah, that's a question. I think if we got too hardcore with that, for me, it would almost take away part of the. I need the some of the fantasy. I think is one of the things I love about the fiction. Part of the sci-fi, right? Oh, that is sauce or the
1: the dessert of the story. True. But we could put together a list of 10 books, I am sure, that are hardcore science time travel books. I'm sure we could do that. But that would leave out wonderful, fabulous stories like uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. So how are we going to get around that? That's a very tricky thing. Or we just pick our favorites.
0: Yeah, that, I think that was like, do we just do our favorites and what we most want to read? Or as, and this is what I would come back to, we did with Mars, we did a, a chronological approach for this, right? And that that did that sort of approach that didn't lend itself well to some interesting comparisons and some ideas. We could do a, We could try that again here. And then we can at least get started because I think we would know that we're probably going first with Wells's time machine is probably going to be, I would think. Yeah, I
1: can't, I don't know of any earlier, but there probably are ideas. I think time travel has been an idea for a long time. I wonder how long, I wonder, is it in just in that idea
0: of immortality that we Oh, have. Well, okay. Yeah. It's... Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Immortality. It's certainly a quest to... Yeah, for this sort of elixir that helps us...
1: Play with time. ...help
0: us live it. forever. So I just... This is just Wikipedia here, right? But... Yeah, time travel, common theme of fiction. The concept of time travel by mechanical means was popularized by hg wells now there is something about time slip as a plot device in fantasy and science fiction so this idea of a time slip and then it mentions three works that i really love so there's 19 being the earliest and that's rip van winkle okay okay but that's a time slip the Mechanism of Time Travels is, is an Extraordinary Long Sleep. Next one, it mentions fun. I don't think it's science fiction, but Mark Twain's 1889. Oh, yeah. A Connecticut, Connecticut Yankee yeah. King Arthur's Court, which is such a cool read. And then the first novel to include, wow, the first novel to include both travel to the past and travel to the future. Can you guess it? Late 19th century. Oh, no, mid 19th century. You absolutely know it. Everybody knows it. <laughs> Every yeah, everyone in the US knows it.
1: In the US. Western okay, give me another you know. hint.
0: Give me Or England. I'll give you a closer hint, closer to home, England. Oh I know. No. Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. Okay. Yeah. yeah, first novel to include... That's so crazy, right? First one to include both travel to the past and travel to the future. You could have given
1: me the hint, Holiday. and Maybe I <laughs> would have gotten it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but in terms Time of... Time travel. Yeah, in terms of a mechanical sort of device. And a uh, little
1: bit like Slaughterhouse-Five, living all of these times at once.
0: Yeah, I think Slaughterhouse-Five, that you do get this alien, right? This idea of there are aliens in there. So that, that makes it a little different. But he's not using a mechanical device. Okay, let me just see time travel by mechanical devices. The earliest work about backwards time travel is uncertain. Huh. There's a Chinese novel translated the Supplement to the Journey to the West by Dong Yue. 1640, it uses magical mirrors and jade gateways. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of cool. Huh. The protagonist, Sunu Kong. So the monkey king travels back to the world of the ancients. Oh, interesting.
1: There's a lot about ancestry, yeah, for sure.
0: Earliest time machines, 1881, the clock that went backward. But HUL's time machine is right there. That seems like a pretty safe start. Sounds like we want to do something that's just a little more hard sci-fi? Yes. And so that takes out gates
1: in walls, doors and basements, mirrors, Stonehenge. mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. We have to get a little more sciencey. Yeah. I think we got it. Okay. I think we know what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's hard to say definitively now without doing a lot more research and kind of thinking on it. Maybe that's just part of the fun. We'll try to go in chronological order and just see if it works out. Okay. All right. Okay. The time machine, HG Wells. Okay.
1: That's a quick read. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it encompasses all of the things that we want in a time travel story i think that's why it's been around so long it just resonates one of the things about time travel is you can go in the past you can come back to the present and you can go into the future right and it's all about how far back in the past do you want to go and how far in the future do you think is possible would you go to the future or the past? If you have a time machine, you can do both, can't you? Which, which or,
0: one you one. what would you choose?
1: Ah, uh, I see. I'm more interested in the history, but it's the future is also interesting. What would happen if you pick the future and 10 years from now, the end of the world happens and there you are. Can you get back from there? Oh, all of these things are part of the conundrum of time travel and meeting yourself of course that's always fun
0: there's
1: (laughs) a lot of time travel stories seek to find out what's at the end of time
0: a lot of great books out here all right i think we got it okay it must be time to sign off all right yeah, Eric, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I guess we'll uh, see each other at the Spaceman's Ball.
1: I can't and wait for the
0: Spaceman's Ball. Maybe I'll go back in time to a previous Spaceman's Ball or one in the future. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it sounds yeah. like a good choice. Find me a time machine, I think.
1: Invent one. Yeah. Invent one.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, yeah, we'll chat soon. Life, death, sci-fi.